0: Last week, we uh, in our study of the coming of Christ in three stanzas in a chorus, we were in second verse of the song, so to speak, uh, talking about the rapture of the church, and I left you hanging. Kind of like a, a partial rapture, huh? We, we're going to finish it today. Okay, so if you've been dangling for a week, we're going to uh, do a little more work on The rapture, the first coming we've talked about already, the birth of Christ. And we're going to get another whole month to talk about that in real short time. The another coming is what I call it, the rapture of the church. Uh, We started that last week. We're going to work on that again today. And then the final coming, the second coming of Christ, ultimately, uh, when he comes to this earth and he reigns for a thousand years. We're going to hopefully get to that next week. And the week to follow. But all of this is to remind us of the chorus. The chorus of our song is that the just shall live by faith. And in every single coming of Christ, there's a link to the issue of faith. And that's how we must live. We must live by faith. Because after all, uh, he might come today. Do you believe that? Do you live like that is true? That's the important thing. Because... To live by faith is more than just to know by faith. It's to live it. It's to expect it. Because he could come. And it has been now five weeks since we started this. This is our sixth week on this. And we are 30 days closer. So, we're going to keep talking about this. So, I'm supposed to live today as if this is the day. And I'm also supposed to live today as if my job's not done yet. I've got more yet to do, and we all do until Christ comes. But I don't think, personally, that it is difficult to prove the rapture of the church in the Scriptures. The New Testament epistles has several places that marks it there. Um, the New Testament epistles is the only place you're going to find it. If you start tracing it in other places, you won't locate it. It's in First Thessalonians 4, we talked about last week. 1 Corinthians 15, we had a couple of verses out of that we talked about last week. In Titus 2, verse 13, where we ended up last week, that we are looking for the blessed hope, the appearing of of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. If you are looking for that, that is an act of faith. You're looking for something that God's word has said is going to happen and you believe that, and you have confident expectation, it will come. I love the words confident expectation. That is the technical definition of hope. Confident expectation. He told us that this is going to happen. And what we see in Scripture is something so simple. We use usually in reference to salvation, but it's in reference to anything the Lord has said. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. The doctrine of the rapture, like any other doctrine we hold to, must be held by faith. It must be held by faith. We cannot separate it from faith. And I could show you how simple that works. You believe that Jesus died, right? He died for you, true? Were you there? No. No. God's Word tells you that happened, right? So you believe it. If God says that He's coming again, isn't that the same faith required of you? It's that simple. God gives us the information, and I believe, honestly, even though there's only three little passages that deal with the rapture technically, I believe God said that's enough for you. That's all you need. To believe me on this point. That's all he said. I am not the author of the rapture theory. Alright? I did not create the doctrine. The church did not create the doctrine either. Nobody on this earth invented it. God said it. God said it. People today, when they debate it, they get down to personalities. There's one person said this and another person said that. But I like the fact that God said this. <laughs> no debate for me. No debate. But there is one particular point, And I talked last week about the reality of it. Today I want to talk about another point related to it that needs our attention. And it is the evidence for a pre-tribulational rapture. There are those who put it in the middle. They call it a mid, believe it or not, tribulational rapture. Some people put it at the end of the tribulation and call it a post-tribulational rapture. Some people put it somewhere around maybe a half or two-thirds of the way in. They call it a pre-wrath rapture. Some even believe they're only going up half the way and coming back down. Uh, And I don't know why that's, of any value, Um, unless you like roller coasters. (laughs) Uh, Others believe that only those who are sincere about following Christ are going to be raptured. They call that the partial rapture. So work real hard on that one, huh? Just make sure you're in the right group. That's a tough one to to say because that's not what Scripture says at all. But I'm going to talk about a pre-tribulational rapture. That means rapture before the seven-year tribulation that Scripture talks about as well. Now, I'm also going to be using some PowerPoints this morning, because once in a while I need to do that just to anchor it down, but I was told already it's only for the young of eyes. I guess it's kind of small print. But uh, that's okay. I'm just going to point to things, all right? And I hope that's sufficient. And if not, for those who are on our Our uh, webcam here and and at home, I hope it comes out clear enough for you too. If nothing else, just follow along in your Bible. Is that easy? We're a Bible church. Let's use our Bibles. 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians 5 is where we're going to go. Now, I'm just going to start reading here. And then I'm going to uh, slide to the side a little bit so I can start putting up pictures for you too. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, the first 11 verses. Okay, it's up already. Let me slide over, or else I'll go blind. Can you see it? You can. Some? Some of you? I get to see the eye doctor tomorrow, so I'm going to tell him. Okay, it's right there. Now as to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying, peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep, do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. For since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath. But for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you also are doing. There are terms that we use in Scripture, and this passage does as well. Uh, let's flip to the second slide for a second. It's right there in the second verse, the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. If you've been reading through the scripture this year and you're saying, I might make it. There's about 12 or not 12, eight or so weeks to go. But uh, you may have seen that word a lot. It is the common term used for the tribulation. The day of the Lord. Now, technically, it's got bigger ramifications in that as well. There's a lot to it. But technically, we find it over and over and over again in reference to the tribulation. The rapture is not taught in the Old Testament. I told you that. It's not taught in the Gospels either. But the day of the Lord is. The day of the Lord is taught in the Old Testament. And it's heavy in there. Especially the prophets. It is in the Gospels. It is in the Epistles. And the day of the Lord has two primary targets. One is the Jews, and the second one is the nations of the earth. It has nothing to do with the church. The Jews, they are a target because of their unbelief in the Messiah. The nations of the earth because of their unbelief in the Lord God. None of the references that we're going to cross, and I'm going to give you some samplings here, speak of anything good in the era of the day of the Lord. It's characterized by wrath. Now, I'm going to walk you through this on purpose so I can make my point. All right? I'm going to have in front of me, well, I do. I have maybe 15 or so verses. I'm just going to read off. I'll tell you the reference if you want to jot down, if you're keeping notes. Just where to look them up. All of them have a reference to the day of the Lord in them. Notice how often words like wrath have to do with what it says. In Isaiah 13, 6. Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Isaiah 13, 9. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming. Cruel with fury and burning anger to make a land desolate he will exterminate the sinners from it lamentations 2:22 you called as in the day of the appointed feast my terrors on every side and there was no one who escaped or survived in the day of the lord's anger ezekiel 13:5 you have not gone up to the breaches nor did you build your wall around your house of israel to stand firm in the battle of the day of the Lord. Ezekiel 30 verse 3. For the day is near, even the day of the Lord is near. It will be a day of clouds, a time of doom for the nations. Joel one fifteen, As for that day, the day of the Lord is near, and it will come as destruction from the Almighty. Joel 2 verse 1. Behold a trumpet in Zion. And sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. Surely it is near. Joel two eleven, The Lord utters his voice before his army. Surely his camp is very great, for strong is he who carries out his word. The day of the Lord is indeed great and very awesome. Who can endure it? Amos five eighteen. Alas, you who are longing for the day of the Lord... For what purpose will the day of the Lord be to you? It will be darkness and not light. Underscore those words. It says in Amos 520, Will not the day of the Lord be darkness instead of light, even gloom, with no brightness in it? Obadiah, verse 15, For the day of the Lord draws near on all the nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your dealings will return on your own head. Any of this sound precious to you and rapture like we're not done yet Zephaniah one seven be silent before the Lord God for the day of the Lord is near for the Lord is prepared a sacrifice He has consecrated his guest Zephaniah one eight then it will come about on the day of the Lord's sacrifice that I will punish the princes. The king's sons, all who are clothed themselves in foreign garments. That, by the way, particularly aims at the Jewish people. Zephaniah 1.8. Zephaniah 1.18. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to deliver them on the day of the Lord's wrath. And all the earth will be devoured in the fire of his jealousy. For he will make a complete end, indeed a terrifying one, of all the inhabitants of the earth. Zephaniah 2.2. Before the decree takes effect, the day passes like the shaft, shaft. Before the burning anger of the Lord comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger comes upon you. And one more from the Old Testament, just a sampling here. Zephaniah 2, three, Seek the Lord, all you humble on the earth who have carried out his ordinances. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. In the New Testament, Three verses are just start with here. 1 Thessalonians 5.2. It's right there. You yourself know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. Second Thessalonians 2 Thessalonians 2.2. That you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by the Spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. We'll get into that in a little bit. And 2 Peter 3.10. For the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burnt up. Okay, Evan, I'm ready for slide three. These phrases you just heard, just like a thief in the night destruction, darkness, night, darkness, wrath. Corresponds beautifully to all the passages you see throughout Scripture. It's unified in its message. It's a day of wrath. A day of darkness. And it comes just like a thief. You remember, maybe you did, maybe way back in the, I don't know, 70s or, yeah, it had to have been in the late 70s anyway. The movie A Thief in the Night. They showed it at my church. scared us all to death. It was supposed to be about the rapture and what it's like to miss it. You know, that was kind of scary. But this is not a rapture passage. (laughs) This is the day of the Lord passage. Because how many people look forward to a thief in the night? I mean, not the movie, the reality. You don't say, boy, I hope a thief breaks in tonight. That's a negative thing, is it not? That's a negative thing. Well, we have darkness, we have wrath, we have thieves. And what I'm trying to do with this passage in front of you is to show you that 1 Thessalonians 5 was written concerning the tribulation. You see the the resemblances, don't you? That's what he's primarily talking about, what he's presenting before the Thessalonians church. The day of the Lord pertains to particular punishments for unbelief. If we had time, we could include other terms in all this study, uh, particularly from the Gospels. Jesus talked about the tribulation quite a bit, by the way. And you'll find that heavy in Matthew 24 and 25. Let me just read a couple of verses out of Matthew 24. If you want to follow along for a minute, you will see what I am saying. I'm starting in verse 1. I'm going to read about 15 verses here or so. Uh, but this is what Jesus said concerning the tribulation. All right. It's Matthew 24, starting in verse 1. Now, I'll set the table for you that Jesus and the disciples are coming out of the city of Jerusalem. They're just walking down toward the Kidron Valley, probably. And one of the disciples turns around, or maybe a couple of them, and says, Hey, look how beautiful the temple looks today. Because you can see it right there. It's right on that side of the, the city. And they're probably quite impressed, obviously, looking at it. Jesus came out of the temple, it says in verse 1, and was going away with his disciples. And they came up to a point. uh, They came up to point out the temple buildings to him. And he said to them, do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. And so verse 3, as he was sitting in the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us. When will these things happen and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? They're not asking about the rapture. they have never heard of it. But they did know that Christ was coming again because that was a promise in the Old Testament. And they knew that the signs of the age are going to be difficult signs. And Jesus answered them and said, See to it that no one misleads you. He's talking to Jewish people here. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened. For those things must take place. And that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation. And kingdom against kingdom. And in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. And all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Then they will deliver you to tribulation. And will kill you. And you will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and one will betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and will mislead many because lawlessness is increased. Most people's love will grow cold and the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all the nations and then the end will come. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Now, nope. pause a second. He's going right to a prophecy they already knew. He's pointing his finger directly at it. He says, now, remember this one? When you see this event, it's something that will take place during the tribulation period. And it is addressed to the Jews, and we know that. Daniel says it this way, it's Daniel chapter 9, by the way, verse 24. Keep your place right here, and let me read to you verse 24 through 27. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people, he's talking to Daniel, he's talking about Jews. And for your holy city, wild guess what that is? Jerusalem. Good. Uh, To finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So that you know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince there will be 70 weeks and 62 weeks, 7 weeks and 62 weeks, and it will be built again with plaza and moat even in times of distress. Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and its sanctuary. And and the end will come in like a flood. Even to the end, there will be wars. Desolations are determined. He will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offerings. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. Jesus there, again, taking Old Testament prophecies, talking about a time of terrible destruction and wrath. He's speaking to the Jews. They heard these prophecies before. They knew it was about them. So, back to where he was in Matthew. He brought up the abomination of desolations. And this is what he immediately said in verse 16, Matthew 24. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. He's talking to the Jews. Whoever is on the housetop must not go down and get his things, or or what is out of the house, whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his cloak, but woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babes in that day. But pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. For there, then there will be a great tribulation such as not occurred from the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Unless those days have been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then it, if anyone says to you, who, behold, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, and if possible, even the elect. Behold, I have told you in advance, so that you, if they say to you, Behold, he's in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, Behold, he's in the inner room, do not believe them. For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west... So will the coming of the Son of Man be, and where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Does that sound like a happy day? No. Immediately after the tribulation, in those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heaven will be shaken, and then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of the sky... With power and great glory. They wanted to know when is he coming again. He says, right at the end of the tribulation. Second coming. Second coming. For the Jews. He would send forth his angels with a great trumpet. They would gather together his elect from the four winds. From one end of the sky to the other. Now, I could add verse after verse after verse to this. If you go into Zechariah chapter 12. There's a long, beautiful chapter here. And he says that the tribulation has value for the Jews. And you may say, what value do you get out of this? But this is the value of it. The burden of the Lord will come on Israel, concerning Israel. Thus declares the Lord, who stretches out the heaven, who lays the foundation of the earth, who forms the spirit of man within him. Behold, I am going to make Jerusalem a cup That causes reeling to all the peoples around. And when the siege is against Jerusalem, it will also be against Judah. And it will come about in that day. I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. All who lift it will be severely injured. All the nations of the earth will be gathered against it. Remember, it's toward the nations and toward the Jews. So how's this going to value the Jews if all the world's against them? Keep listening. Zechariah 12.9, and in that day I will set about to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. That's the first target. Zechariah 12.10, I will pour out on the house of David, and on its inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplication, so that they will look on me whom they have pierced. They will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son, and they will weep bitterly over him like one bitterly weeping over a firstborn. In verse 1 of chapter 13, In that day the fountain will be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem, for sin and for impurity. And it will come about in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols from the land they will no longer be remembered. I will also remove the prophets and the unclean spirits from that land. Verse 8, 13, 8. It will come about in all the land, declares the Lord, that two parts of it will be cut off and perish. One third will be left in it, and I will bring that one third part through the fire, refine them as silver is refired, test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people, and they will say, the Lord is my God what the Lord will take people through to get them to finally know they need him. That's the value of the tribulation for the Jews. They will go through the worst experience they've ever known, and they've had some bad ones, to the place where they come to actually recognize and say for the first time, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus told them that just before he went to crucifixion. I will not come back until you're saying it. They will reach that point at the end of the tribulation. All that wrath, all those terrible things, has value for the Jews, for they will be saved. Amazing! That's amazing. Are they now? No. It hasn't happened yet. It hasn't happened yet. There's so many other places we can go. But I think what I have set for you, simply is that the day of the Lord, this thing called the tribulation, is designed for punishment. Punishment on the entire world and for the saving of the Jews. That has nothing to do with the church. Pull up the next slide here. Watch the pronouns. This is the passage we just read. Let's start with this. Verse 3, when they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly, like labor, uh, get closer, pains, upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. Notice the they, them, they, them, they, them. Look at verse number 7. For those who sleep, do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. Does that sound like a happy group to be part of? No, this is destruction. This is... This is what he's saying. Destruction will come upon them. Use the pronouns. It's really helpful here. He's talking about the day of the Lord. Destruction upon them. Let's flip to the next slide. Where you say you or we or us. Notice the difference. You have no need of anything to be written to you about this. Why? Because it's already been written. It's all over the Old Testament. It's all over the Gospels, too. You have no need for any of this to be written to you. You yourselves know, verse 2, full well, the day of the Lord will come. Jump down to verse 4. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day would overtake you like a thief. You see the difference? Go on to verse 5. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. Verse 6. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. Verse 8. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath. You see how important that pronoun is suddenly? Feels good, doesn't it? But for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's talking to believers. Who died for us. So that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Build one another up just as you also are doing. I always think of two things when I think of the tribulation and those who say that the church must go through it. Number one is, why would the Lord beat up his bride before he comes for? That doesn't make sense to me at all. Why would the Lord do it? And another thing is, how can you ever say, be encouraged, it's only seven years. That doesn't rhyme in my heart in any way. It just doesn't work. But it says that our Lord Jesus Christ died for us. If his death was not sufficient, then we still need punished. But you believe his death was sufficient, don't you? So why would the Lord have to punish us? There's a distinction in the passage, and I want that to be very clear. Let's go to the next slide here. The church age. That's we. That's you. That's us. The tribulation, that's they, that's those. This is the wrath we've been talking about. You're on this side of it. What's in between those two things? What's right here? The rapture of the church. It's before the tribulation period. Christ comes for his bride before he goes and punishes this world and before he goes and works on his Jews to bring them to faith in him. That's the difference. That's what Thessalonians is showing us. All the way through this passage. Let's flip one more slide here. When Paul got to the second book he wrote to the Thessalonians, notice what he starts to say in verse 1 and 2. Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together with Him. That's our gathering with Him. That's His coming for us. That's the rapture. That you do not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or by a message or by a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Somebody started to spread a rumor. Oh, guess what? Thessalonians church, you missed it. He's already come. Now you're going into the rapture. How'd that help them? Do you know why Paul wrote Second Thessalonians? Because these guys were all Shaking. In the first letter, he commended, commended them for their love and their faith and their hope. In the second commender letter, he commended them for their love and their faith. Guess what was shaken? Their hope. Because somebody said, you missed it. Would you, would you enjoy reading the news tomorrow morning and find out the rapture occurred last night and you weren't there? Now you know what they felt. They're like, what happened, Paul? You told us. And we know it, we've seen it in scripture, we know, we've read it too, that the day of the Lord is not about us. And then somebody sent us a letter and said, sorry, that's not true. And it shook them. They were shaken by it. As if that day had come. Paul goes on the rest of that chapter to say, no it hasn't. He says, there's no evidence it's happened. And we're not going to spend the time with that. But simply put, why do I believe in the rapture of the church? Because the Lord says so. Why do I believe that the rapture is before the tribulation? It's because God promised it that way. That's what we just walked through together. Faith is what keeps me expecting Christ to come at any moment. It's faith that these words are true. And it says that the righteous man will live by that faith. They will live by that faith. So I'm supposed to live today as if today's the day, right? And I'm supposed to do my job as if I'm not done yet. But in all this, I find something to encourage you with this morning. Because it says we're to encourage each other. With these things at the end of 1 Thessalonians 5. And I find it awfully encouraging, don't you? That God's word is true. He will never break his promise. Never. You're not destined for wrath if you're in the Lord Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, it's even more beautiful than that. Because if you're just saying, well, I don't want to go through bad times on earth. There's also the promise that if you're in Christ, there is therefore now... No condemnation. You know what that's all about? The consequence of your sin. The consequence of my sin has been taken by the Lord Jesus Christ. Even while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. That is so precious to me that He has paid the price that He has done it. Do I believe that? With all my heart. Why do I believe that? Because God said so. That's my anchor. When I talk about end times, when I talk about tribulation, when I talk about the place of the church, where I talk about the rapture of the church, or when it will take place, I think the evidence is clear for me to say, I'm anticipating his coming real soon. And I'm thankful I don't have to go through the tribulation. Like I said, there are people who argue with us. Me, especially, in, in different ways to say, well, all you want to do is avoid going through bad times. Yes, that is very true. I'll find that way every time if I can. But I'm not, I'm not telling you something I created myself. This is what God has said. Now it's up to you to read these words and say, I believe them. And live like that. That's what faith looks like. Live like that. Heavenly Father, help us. We see your word, and sometimes there's a lot of work to do to unravel parts and pieces that it makes sense to us. And and this is just a sample of what you have done consistently through your book to show us your great love for us, the love that Christ has for his church and his plans for it. We've got a lot yet to learn, Lord. But at least teach us one thing today. That we must live by faith. In light of your promises, we must live by faith. And the day will come when the Lord Jesus Christ will come and take us home. And what a day that will be. Until then, may we be found faithfully walking in the way the Lord would have us walk. Thank you, Lord, for the promises. And thank you that we could anchor to them so tightly. In Jesus' name, amen.